Hello, good listener. My first ever book comes out this Tuesday, November 8th. It's called Drown Town, and it's a super fun ride of a cozy mystery that's got heaps of comedy in it and a dead dog narrator. I mean, what more could you want? You can pre-order your copy right now on Barnes & Noble or Amazon websites. I promise you a good time, and I so appreciate your support on this fun new adventure, which is another first for me. Pre-order Drown Town on Barnes & Noble or Amazon right now. And now, here comes our brand new episode. I have to say that improv saved my life in a lot of ways, but it absolutely helped me be okay with being imperfect. And in a way, I... I love rehearsal and I love the process and putting things together. I love talking about my character. I love figuring out the blocking and how are we going to say these lines and whatever. But I have to hold on to chaos and into into being in the moment. Hi, I'm Drew Drogi and you're entering a world gone good. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and here we are yet again, making good things happen on World Gone Good. Help us spread the good by sharing us on your social media and following us on Instagram. We are at World Gone Good Podcast. Follow us, and we will follow you back. And as always, we say thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing the good. Oh, boy, today... How do I lead us into what is about to happen today? Okay, how about this? Raise your hand if you've seen the movie Titanic. Okay. Raise your other hand if you've ever heard of someone named Celine Dion. Now, raise your right leg if you love parody, Broadway shows that are Broadway adjacent, and you purchase tickets to the previously mentioned agenda items to find yourself literally bumping into one of the funniest mofos you have ever known from LA, but on the streets of New York, right outside the stage door to the show, you had an oh idea he was in and then instantly said, of course, he is in this. That was a lot, wasn't it? Now, I think I'm probably the only person right now with both hands in the air and I'm standing on one foot. Drew Drogi has cracked up our collective shit on everything from How I Met Your Mother to Bob's Burgers to Hot in Cleveland and so many more TV and film roles. He's now gone all aboard the off-Broadway smash hit Titanic, where we reconnected by literally bumping into one another outside the theater, like I said. And I said to him, hey, do you want to come be on my podcast? And he said, security, please remove the stalker. Grab your flotation device and prepare to man and woman the lifeboats. Here comes Drew Drogi sharing his good. So I'm walking down the streets of New York, everyone, and coming toward me (laughs) is a man... In a wild panic, of bouncing and flailing. And yes. Yeah. 
yeah, I said I'm doing a crazy Titanic parody musical at Union Square. I know, and I said to you, wait, are you in Titanic? Because I'm going to Titanic. Oh, that's right. I forgot that you were you already had tickets to go to see the show. The magic of New York, I it's it it's the it's the weirdest, craziest place where it's this giant city and you run into people like that all the time. And so I'm so glad we did. I am too. Okay, let's go wide here and move our way in. Here's the question. And this is a cheesy question. But have you always been a funny person? Are you the funny person in your family? I'm definitely not the funny person in my family. I'm the quiet person in my family. Um, I come from very, I have a very, very funny, very loud, very opinionated family. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I feel like it took a long time for my family to find me funny because I was the quiet one. And so I, I, I had a father that was constantly doing characters. Saturday mornings, he was jumping in and out of characters. We would go on vacations and he would just, we would just see people like in groups and he would just start assigning lives to them and backstories. And so I had a I had great training that way. And, um, I have a, I have a, a really funny mom and I have a, and my brother is just, my brother is very good at like meeting somebody and instantly sort of attaching to their sense of humor. And he's He's very charming, very funny, but he just knows how to make that person specifically laugh. And I don't know how to do that. I'm just kind of weird. And I just say what I say and you either kind of get it or you don't. So I don't know. I mean, um, and then I think, you know, when I, I think so much of it is like growing up gay in the South and you have to find some superpower and you're like, I can't, you know, there's only one way to fight back. I mean, I did, I did for a long time convince my classmates that I was possessed by the devil. And I realized that that keeps bullies away. Cause if they think you have a devil inside you, that's going to jump into them, they will leave you alone. Um, you know, in the South. Uh, but I, I don't know that. I, I don't know. I mean, I think I, I, I like when people think I'm funny, but I don't know that everyone does all the time. I don't, I, I think I'm a, a flavor for sure. How did you convince your classmates that you were possessed by the devil? Oh, I would start growling and petting myself and I, I would roll my eyes or all around in my head and I have a very rubbery face and I would act like I, I, I acted like I had like a demon inside me. And I, I, I did it to make my friends laugh, but I, I think, I, I think people were scared of me in that way. They, they thought I was not okay. And I'm probably not. I mean, I've never been checked out. I don't know what, I don't know what brand of, you know, mental illness I have, but, um, who knows, but I know that, um, (laughs) I, I I realized I would go to school and make my friends laugh. And that's, I guess that's when I found my, my like ability uh, as a comedian, like, Oh, I, they, I make them laugh and that makes, that makes me happy. And I feel like connected. And then I would go home and be very quiet around my very loud, very funny family. So like, you know, they were very shocked when I said, I'm going to move to LA to do comedy. They were really, they were upset. They were like, I thought you were going to be a college professor. Like you're the quiet one, you know, but oh, well. (laughs) That's amazing. Who were your like icons? Who were the people you looked up to growing up? I'm going to guess, I'm going to take some guesses. I'm going to say Madeline Kahn was an influence for you. I'm making guesses here. I'm going to say Carol Burnett was an influence for you. Number one. Who else? 
Carol Burnett's my number one. I mean, when I was three years old, I didn't really enjoy cartoons. I didn't like being a child. It's so funny when people are around children and I'm like, oh, I don't like kids. And oh, and people go, oh, remember when you were a kid? I'm like, yes, I do. I only wanted to be an adult. And I never wanted to, I, I, I didn't relate to children. I just, I wanted to, I, my favorite thing was like when my parents would have dinner parties and I could like come downstairs and for like, they would get me like, like 10 minutes to go down and talk to the adults and make a little plate and go upstairs. That was like, that was one of my favorite childhood memories. So in terms of like, I was always watching, like I loved watching sitcoms and I loved watching, um, you know, funny women. That was just who I, so Carol Burnett, Carol Burnett show was my favorite thing ever. And, and my parents say that when I was three years old, they would sit me in front of the TV and I would fall over laughing. And they were like, you would get it at that age. And I'm like, I, I, but watching it now, she's so universally funny. You don't have to be like clever or, or witty to understand why what she's doing is, is brilliant. And uh, so, yeah, for sure. Carol Burnett. I love Madeline Kahn. I love Goldie Hawn. Um, I, I, uh, you know, of course, uh, Jan Hooks was my number one, my favorite cast member of Saturday Night Live ever. Um, you know, yeah, so those were the, and then as I got older, I got obsessed with John Waters movies. And so Divine and Mink Stoll and the, the world of John Waters I'm obsessed with and love and love what a huge moment he's having now um, in his, you know, mid seventies. I'm just so happy that that's happening and more people discover him and his work, especially his early work every day. So those are definitely my influences growing up. Backing up a second here to something else, because it's something that I experienced. Did you know you were gay when you were younger and or did you have that experience where everyone around you was like, oh, we knew you were gay. Oh, we knew. We were waiting for you to figure it out because I had a lot of that growing up. How was it for you? Definitely the the latter. I did not know that I was gay. I had everyone telling me I was gay. Um, everyone um, so creatively finding ways of telling me I'm gay uh, growing up. And I, I was so disconnected from it that um, I, I didn't really know until, like, even after I was doing very gay things, I, I didn't really know until I, I that, that I, I wasn't really calling myself gay until I was 22. I also, I feel very lucky that um, we moved around a lot, but I, I, when I look back at my childhood, I had a gay best friend everywhere I went. And I'm still in touch with almost all of them. And so I had somebody that I was like, hey, do you want to go watch Elvira after school today? Or do you want to, you know, like we had common interests and they were never about explicitly being gay, yet they were absolutely about being gay. And so I I, I had this like lovely um, support. And then my parents were in the furniture business and so knew a lot of gay people. I grew up with a lot of gay people and it was very fine. So um, it wasn't like I was told at home that it wasn't okay or that I, I was, you know, an abomination or anything. So I, I don't know. I just think, I think a lot of it is just, is like wasp repression of sex in general. And then like, and, and also like, I was very much that, you know, that velvet rage thing of like, I was straight A student. I was like president of every club. I was like, so there was like a perfectionist in me that I didn't fit into the image of who I was. And so I just didn't acknowledge that until much later. And, you know, it's one of those things that I 
so love about myself now and I wouldn't choose to be straight, but it just, it, it took a while for me to sort of wake up and, and figure that part out. <laughs> you talk about being a perfectionist. Does that still play into how you come at things as a performer? Are you more off, off the cuff? Are you more in the moment? Are you more rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal? What's your pro- how does that affect your process? Does it affect your process? Absolutely. I have to say that improv saved my life in a lot of ways, but learning how to improvise and learning and I, I and I teach it now. And when I teach, I tell students, I'm like, you know how to improvise now. You're a witch. You've got to use your powers for good um, and not to just disrupt and cause chaos, but to be a team player and all of that. But it, but it absolutely helped me be okay with being imperfect. And in a way I, I love rehearsal and I love the process and putting things together. I love talking about my character. I love figuring out the blocking and how are we going to say these lines and whatever. But I always have, um, I, I have to um, hold on to chaos and into, uh, in, into being in the moment. So like in the show that I'm doing right now in Titanic, I, I get a moment in the show where that's just my meltdown and it's, almost all scripted and planned out. The goal is for it to feel like it's just, I'm rolling off the cuff, but there are moments that I get to change every night. Like, and they're tiny little bits that I, and I love that because it keeps me in the moment and doing that. And I, I learned that perfect is boring. And, um, and there's in art, there's no such thing as perfect. And, um, and so to try to, you know, you just, you just want to go out there and do your best and listen and commit and be there in the room, but an audience loves not like going in there and just blowing it all, you know, fucking everything up, but they love. And when something happens live in front of them, that's just for them and you acknowledge it or you deal with it or, and, and you move on. It's so special to them. And those are audiences favorite moments. And so when I mess up, forget a line, stand in the wrong place, whatever, it can be a gift as opposed to, oh shit, I just, I just ruined the piece. It's like, no, that's the magic. That's why we come to live theater. We didn't, you know, if it was a film, they would edit that and they would, they would change it or they would be smart enough to go, oh, I love that. And I love in movie, I love hearing in movies where they're like, oh, the actor flubbed the line. There's a famous line, William H. Macy um, flubs a line in Boogie Nights. And I, when I first heard it, I was like, wait, what? And Paul Thomas Anderson's like, he kept it in because he's like, the character would be that flustered. That's how, what he would say. And I loved how human that was. And I think that's brilliant. Um, So I love, I love messy. And I think that that's a very important part of being a performer and a creative person is like, oh, like enjoy your mess, but also have, you know, have control over it. If that makes any sense. It totally makes sense. And it's something we've talked about on here with other theater people that I've had on. And we've had shows all about plays and musicals and all sorts of this stuff. And it is that in the moment um, thing that only live theater can really bring you. I mean, concerts do it too, I think. I think that's the the joy of seeing Beyonce, you know, Beyonce or seeing uh, Taylor Swift right now because they're really putting on a theatrical production more than just coming up and standing at a mic and singing. Right. And so that's what's so incredible. And I loved, I loved, loved, loved what you did. Because you're playing Francis Fisher, basically, right? You're playing um, yes, the yes. mom to, right? Yes, I'm the, I play the mother uh, to, uh, to, 
to Kate Winslet's character. There should be a drinking game called Jack and Rose where we all take a drink every time they say their fucking names. <laughs> I, I have to say this about your performance, and I'm not I'm not going to be the only one to point this out. There's a little bit of Chloe Sevigny going on in your performance. Yes, no. Oh, yes. I mean, they well, the 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 thing is like when they when they created the show 7 years ago, they had me in mind. I've I've done a lot of other shows with them uh, back in LA. And so when they were putting this together, they were like, "Oh, who can be the, you know, the, the evil asshole mother? Oh, Drew Drogi would be great." And this so they were they wrote it with that in mind, and so there there are things that are just in the script that they wrote in my Chloe voice and in that sort of like referential kind of um, fancy. Um, And then, you know, it's fun to sort of lean into that a little bit. I also have been watching a lot of Joan Crawford movies um, and I'm obsessed with, and a lot of times when I play these sort of these grand dames that they're putting on a performance. I mean, this character you find out in the movie and spoiler, everyone's seen Titanic that, they, she wants, she wants the illusion of wealth and class, but underneath it, they're, they're broke. They have no money. And so I've always been, I love Joan Crawford's sort of um, story that she was a very intelligent, very strong woman who was not educated properly, not formally educated. So she mispronounced a lot of words, but she fancied them up. So there's an interview with Joan Crawford, where she talks about, you know, eating a lot of meat and she's like, it's important to get you a protein. And um, I love that. I love that, like, uh, taking a word and sort of, like, using all of the vowels in the word. And that's very Chloe as well. And it's sort of like, only I know how to say the word. And everybody else is trash, even though I'm incorrect. Um, And then, you know, as I go through the show, that sort of starts to fall down. And you see this sort of loud, angry, trash bag character underneath, who really is the mother, or in my interpretation, of the mother. So, um, so yeah, I mean, like, I think it's, it's all in there and it's, it's fun to sort of, you know, um, lean into that nod and not feel like, oh, I have to do something completely different. Cause it's also like, there, there also, also there are audiences who haven't seen me live and, you know, who, who were fans of the Chloe thing who have come up to me and said that and like, oh, I, I'd never got to see you live. So I think it's fun to sort of give them what, what they expect, you know, a little bit. And then a couple, hopefully some surprises thrown in there too. Okay, let's stay on Chloe for one second, and then we're jumping back to Titanic. Why Chloe? What was the what was the bursting you of all the people in the world? What did you see her do? What did you glam onto? Because it was so fucking original and smart, and it was just this little thing that was brilliantly executed. Good evening, America. I'm Chloe Sevigny. It's recently come to my attention that I love toast. There's a simple process to create a toast. Start with one personal package of King's Hawaiian Sweetbread. I first discovered my admiration for King's Hawaiian Sweetbread at the first annual Memorial for Ideas, sponsored by Acura, Prilosec, and Gogurt Squirts. Why Chloe? What did Chloe do to you? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, we look alike. I mean, I I saw myself in a mirror. I had a blonde wig on for a sketch show, and this was over twenty years ago. And I was like, "Oh my god, who do I look like?" And I was like, "I look like Chloe Sony." And I am obsessed with indie film, and I love that world that I'm so removed from that 
the hyper cool, the just, you know, the, the hyper specific world of, um, you know, downtown New York that I just, I just feel so like, oh my God, what is it like to be in that world? So I read an interview with her and she was just referencing these things that I was like, I have no idea, but I want to know. But it almost, you know, so, you know, the real Chloe 70 doesn't sound like me at all and doesn't do. And I think that that's why the real Chloe 70 is, is confused by what I'm doing. Cause it's like, I don't talk like that. And I fully know that. And I wouldn't, you know, but I sort of like sort of tapped into this, this alter ego and what I imagined, you know, a character, you know, kind of based on her in her world. And so when I first was doing her, it was very close to the real Chloe 70 um, on stage. And I had references to her films and her life. And then the video, my friend, Jen Hansen was, saw me do this uh, at a birthday party and was like, these need to be videos. And I was like, I don't want to do videos. I'm not a drag queen. I don't want to enter into that world. I was so hesitant to doing it. Just, I don't know why I have no reason why. And, um, he sat on me forever to do it. And we finally did them. And a few months after they, they didn't blow up right away. It, it, it took a few months and they just kind of went viral as the, in that mysterious way that things do. And then I realized like, oh, I never thought that this would have such a wide audience because I was going and auditioning for sketch shows and doing this. And, and I was having people say, no one's going to get that. No one's going to like this Chloe thing. You know, it's so weird. No one knows, you know, what you're doing. There are no jokes there. I had directors being like, what's the joke? Like, you're just referencing things. And so I, these videos kind of proved all of that wrong. And they were like, people really liked it. But I realized that I, I wasn't as interested in lampooning the real Chloe Sevigny. I'm like, I respect her. I think she's a great actor. I don't, really need to go after her personally because she didn't do anything to me. So I don't, it's not like she's a villain on any level. And I don't know that it would work if I didn't like her. And if I didn't love her, I think I, I don't, I've, I've, I've done other shows I've done in like, um, um, Oh my God, what's her? Oh, I did Ann Coulter on stage for a while. A friend of mine would do these political shows and had me come on stage and be Ann Coulter. It's not fun. I got to say, I hated it because she's a cunt. She's an awful human being. And, and she's playing Ann Coulter. There's no way she's really this person. So there's nothing you can do on top of Ann Coulter that's not Ann Coulter. It's, it, it was just kind of a dead end. I would get a laugh when I would walk out on stage in the wig and I would wear a short skirt and it's like, ha, ha, ha. But there wasn't any, there wasn't room there to grow with anything for me. And so Chloe is so fun because I get to imagine this character who lives on a different planet, who it's recently come to her attention that she has grandparents. Well, the real Chloe 70 would, would not say something so insane. So I get to sort of play in this world of, you know, alternate reality, alternative facts, to quote our friend Kellyanne Conway. But I'm not an impressionist. I don't really care about doing, like, accurate impressions. It's not really my skill or my interest. And so every character that I do that's, like, a, I'm saying that I'm a famous person, it's sort of the, my version. And even, like, to go back to, like, playing Francis Fisher in Titanic, like Francis Fisher gives a very subtle, very small performance. And that she's just kind of this cold woman who's like, get away from, you know, the guy that is downstairs in steerage and, and be with Cal, be with Billy Zane. I had to blow that up for the stage. You know, Jackie Beat has a brilliant quote in doing parody. She said, 
you have to give people what they think they remember as opposed to the accurate depiction of what it actually is. Like, you know, we, we do the golden girls together uh, and it's like, Oh, you know, Dorothy's Mornack would, you know, occasionally go off her voice. And so Jackie does that way more than B. Arthur ever did because it's a drag show and Jackie, you know, clearly loves B. Arthur. And it's coming from this place of, Oh, I love that. Let's, you know, it be the mouse like hitting the cocaine more and more, like go back and get more and get more and get more because that's what we're doing. We're eating. Last Chloe question, and we're moving on. Have you ever met her? Do we know if she's seen your impersonation of her? I have met her. She was it was really early on in the videos, and she was really nice. It was very awkward. I was nervous to talk to her because I don't like I, I just I really don't enjoy making people uncomfortable. It's just a thing that I realize that I'm more of an actor than a comedian that way. Like I really don't like to get I'm it's just a very awkward moment for me. And I, you know, and we're at a party and I was just like, and I didn't want her to think that I was studying her and that I was like, sort of like taking notes when we were hanging out. So I kept it really brief. I wanted to get out of her way. And I just, you know, um, and I didn't want to apologize to her either. Cause that would be lame. I just, I met her and I just said, um, you know, I just said, it's so nice to meet you. Thank you for being you. And, and, and thank you for doing all that you do. And I just was, and she was really nice about it. And we kind of talked about other things. Um, cause I didn't want to talk about the videos. I just felt gross and weird. Um, I do know that she's seen them and, and sometimes she said like, Oh, I like it. And then other times she's like, I, I, I do not like it. I feel like he's making fun of me. Uh, I, I don't understand what's happening there. And she sometimes said, like, if he was a drag queen, I would feel honored, but he's a comedian, so I, it, it's insulting. I think she she has different uh, feelings through it as she goes through. But I have actually done – I've actually not done a lot of things that I felt like would cross a line. I When she had a baby, everyone's like, you got to make a video about her baby. I was like, absolutely not. I'm not making fun of someone for having a baby. I'm not making fun of their child. I'm not getting get involved in her personal life. I'm not going there. Um, another time a publicist invited me to ambush her on a red carpet of a premiere of her movie um, as Chloe like walk up. And I was like, no, unless Chloe is cool with this and we could work out a bit to do together. I mean, I would love one day if we got cast in a film together, I have a dream of us being cast as siblings and something or doing some weird dream sequence or something together would be so fun and cool. But I think that would be the end of it. I think that would end my, it would be like, what else am I going to do after that? Do you get nervous on stage? Do you get nervous before you have to go out to do something? Absolutely. I get nervous every night. I learned to just embrace that as, as energy. And it's a good feeling. I, I kind of go, oh, good. I use that. Doing this show, I'm not used to doing eight shows a week. Um, you know, cause LA, the theater schedule is way more relaxed than that. It's usually like four, maybe five shows a week, never eight. And doing that, doing this right now and having a show almost every night, it helps with that. And it feels very much like a routine, but if I feel too relaxed, uh, that makes me nervous because it's like, Oh, I, I don't have the proper energy that I need to go out there. And I just think about like, Oh, there's somebody out there who is so excited to see this show. They got ready. They went out with their friends. They had dinner. This is their one time that they're going to see the show. And so, you know, do it for them and don't, and, and let those nerves sort of like 
be, you know, be like that you're, you're well of energy as opposed to getting in your way. Like I was saying earlier, when I mess up, it, it immediately relaxes me and I feel like, Oh, great. Now I'm in the room. I'm alive with them. I mean, cause the worst feeling is just feeling boring and kind of doing the same thing that you did before and having no connection with that specific audience. Um, that feels way more disappointing than the nerves, but yeah, I get nervous every time before I go out on stage. I have to say, and I mean this, the most talented cast across the board that I've seen in a really long time. And I mean at a level that it was astounding. And there was, I say this respectfully, there was no standout person. You're all, you go into this thing thinking, okay, well, this woman's going to do Celine Dion. She's going to be the narrator. She's going to be the star. She's going to be the funniest one. She's going to be the one. She's going to be the one. And respectfully, I have to say, all of you, are so fucking funny, but also the singing level, the dancing level, the just the timing of all of you. What is it like to be in that kind of engine and just really feel that all happening on the stage? Because I can tell you what it feels like in the audience to laugh or f- keep laughing over a joke that has happened, you know, a minute and a half ago, and there's more jokes still coming. Oh, Thank you. That makes me so happy to hear that because we really, I love being a part of it. I mean, I've never joined a cast in in the middle of the run before in my life. So I, for me, uh, I, even though they wrote this for me back in the day or with me in mind back in the day, I couldn't do it when they did the first workshops in LA, I was doing other things and I was too busy, so I couldn't do it. And so I've seen it and I've seen like four five different actors do the role that I'm doing and I've seen different casts play all the different roles, obviously. And it's phenomenal. And I am, I, I, I've been such a fan of it. So to come into that, like you said, into that engine, into that machine is daunting. And you know, all there were five of us who were new. We had a week of rehearsal before we're thrown in front of a paid audience who doesn't, who don't, you know, they don't know that we are brand new and they want the show to feel like, it's this sort of thrown together, you know, off the cuff shit show that everything's just happening. But you're right. It is a very finely constructed machine. And it, there are so many jokes. And there are many times that they tell us, like, especially when it's in the middle of a song and the band can't keep vamping and you can't communicate all of it, that you can't even pause for laughs. You have to just keep going. And, you know, and the audience has to go to go, oh, wow, get on board because there's, I mean, even at the end, and I'm not going to spoil it, but the last lines, you think the show's over and there's one nod to a, a really famous musical on the last line. And then we have a curtain call and then we, you know, what we show on social is that we all, the audience sings, my heart will go on. And then we have one final laugh at the end where, you know, you, it, it's just, it doesn't let up. Um, and you're right. I, I am not a singer and I'm so grateful that uh, to be in a show with these fantastic voices, I'm the one character that doesn't sing, but everybody's voices are fantastic and, you know, and they are also funny and they're, and I don't remember who you saw when, but like so many of them are, are so versatile. They're interchangeable. They play multiple characters throughout the, the run. So our swings play four or five characters. And so one night they're playing the Billy Zane part. The next night they're playing my part. And the next night they're playing the Leonardo DiCaprio part, you know, and they do it masterfully. So it's, it's a really magical, 
thing. And a lot of that is the genius of Ty Blue, our director, who just has, you know, and Nicholas Connell and Marla Mandel, Constantine Rizzoli, the four of them created the show. But Ty, like, really is able to, in auditions, spot a performer who is that sort of magical combination of like, oh, do they fit in this show? And he also casts a lot of, it's an island of misfit toys. Everyone in this cast has said, I don't fit into other musicals. I audition for so many shows. I'm told people love me. I'm, I make fans in the room, but I'm not exactly right. And so I don't get the part. Everyone in this cast has said that. And yet Ty has had this ability to be like, oh, you fit into this show. We're all, and, and it's, it's so lovely. And I think it also helps that everyone is so kind and so supportive and genuinely lovely that when those of us were coming in, they, they help us. They go, all right, we enter now. All right, do this, do that. Like everyone helps everyone. And now that I've been in the show for about a month, I'm helping new people. And it's, it, it just, it's such a lovely sense of, oh, we're a team and our stage manager is fantastic. Our crew is unbelievable. Our designers are great. Like everybody's there because we love it. Um, and that comes through, I think, because everyone's just like, you know, we got you. Um, and I've been in so many shows where it's not that way. And you have to kind of go out there and fight every night. And that would be such a bummer. Um, but it's it's pretty great. It's boring, honestly. I want more drama. Like I come home and I'm just like, oh, I want more things to bitch about. But I guess I'll, there's plenty in this video to complain about. <laughs> But you just brought up a very valid point because huge kudos to your conductor and the band because they are behind you. And I've done musicals before when the conductor and the band is in the pit or they are under the stage and there's there's um, screens where they can see visual cues forward. Yes. But your people are behind you. And that's what I found so amazing is how they were knowing how long to hold, how they were into coming in. If you needed a vamp, et cetera, they're looking at the back of your heads, right? So that's something. They are, they're phenomenal because also they have different cast members. Like our understudies, our swings go on a lot in the show. Um, we have our, our cast is getting work out of the show. And so they're getting jobs and we have, you know, sickness going around. And so when people are, I, I, I knock on wood, I think that's kind of over, but we did have a small COVID wave that went through. And so they have different people that they're having to follow every night. And we have different band members every night. You know, sometimes they, they switch the band in and out. We have different stage management. We have four stage managers that rotate the jobs in this particular show. So everyone is so hyper-present that they have to go, oh, that got a laugh tonight. And it never has before but because of some weird face that somebody made or somebody in the audience just found that random line really funny that encouraged the audience to laugh. I mean, it's, it, is, it is unknowable, you know, every time you go out there. Um, and then, you know, there are times that they cut you off or they don't come in fast enough. And we just all know that it's to be expected because we are all flying by the seat of our pants. But they're really good at that. They're really good at honing in on that. And they want it to be, like, I think like for me, like they, they, you know, they were nervous in the beginning because I like to improvise and I come in. But I also am aware that there are a lot of pieces up there and it's not just the Drew show that I can just come in and throw something new in there. So I have to, like I was saying, use my powers for good and no, shut up because they don't know when to call a cue if I'm still talking, you know? Um, and often they're better. If I get a laugh, I'll shut up because I don't need to keep talking. 
<laughs> there are so many amazing um, insights, references, not just to Titanic, but to life and also to Celine Dion. I have an ex who was obsessed with Celine Dion. I took him twice to see Celine. This is back a long time ago. But that song, Taking Chances, sticks in my head because it ends, and I knew this, it ends with the lyric, she sings, uh, don't know much about your life, don't know much about your world. She doesn't even finish the word world. She goes, don't know much about your life, don't know much about your were, and the the, the song ends. (laughs) It just ends. And even back a long time ago, I would say to my ex, that fucking song doesn't have an ending. She didn't even finish and I was one of, I'd say, a fifth of the audience who, when you all did that song and your Celine narrator finishes it, and she goes, and I'm going to butcher it, but you know it better than me. She goes, that's it. That's it. There's no end. Yeah, that's, exactly. You know, we don't know. That's how it ends. It literally, there was a coll- there was a little sprinkle of people, including me. I laughed so hard because I had this wicked like wave of, oh, fuck, that's right. That goddamn song doesn't end. And I used to say, where the fuck's the end of this song? So I love that about that. And I have to ask you, was that was that in the direction? Was that in the script? Or is that something that somebody found? That's the type of moment. So was that found? Or or how did that come to be? That was, uh, I, I, I'm sure that was from, from Marla and, and Connie's script, that they knew that when they were putting it together. Um, and maybe it was Nicholas, our, our musical director, who also did all the orchestrations for the show. Maybe it was like, you know, the song just ends and then they're like, oh, that's a, such a funny way. Like it's the opening number. Uh, you know, I mean, we do the I'm Alive, I guess is the opening number, but it's like, you know, we're introducing all these characters and you expect a giant because we have this giant dance number that happens leading up to it. And then it just trails off. And, you know, it's one of those things that like I never clocked that, uh, you know, from me knowing the song. But it is so funny because we all know, I mean, that's rare that the song ends mid-word, but there are those songs that just sort of trail off or all those songs that just don't really have really, really nice buttons on the end of them. And they are frustrating for those of us that want that finality, especially in like crystal clean, beautiful Celine Dion music. It's just odd. Um, But it's also like, you know, it's, it's, they look for, you know, they, they get all the meat off the bone. So for those of you that get it, like for you who like you attach a life experience to that, it's even funnier. And I think for those of us that don't know it, it's sort of like, oh, that's so, you know, that's so funny too. Cause you know, um, yeah, but I, I would imagine that they, they realized that when they were writing it. I think it goes without saying that our friend Celine is not in the best of health right now. Yes. But even when she was in her peak and feeling her best, I think she would fucking love this show. I think she would find every single thing you all are doing and and you're not insulting, much like Chloe, you're not insulting Celine. You're honoring her, but you're also not poking fun at her. You're blowing her up into this um, godlike <laughs> creature who's untouchable. So let her say whatever the fuck she wants. How do you, I mean, do you, do you ever wonder what she would think of this? Absolutely. I love that you said that. And we all feel the same way. We all say, God, we think Celine Dion would love this show. Ty, our director is very much on us about like, um, use the power of Celine. What would Celine do constantly? It's like, it's, it's, you know, there's an honoring of her. 
first of all, yeah, we make no personal jokes about her. We are all, of course, uh, you know, uh, would never make jokes about her health or anything like that. Cheap pot shots in that way. But also, you know, it only works because of that. I think if it was just a a slam piece, it would just be like, why? Like I would say about Chloe, like, why, why is Celine Dion the enemy? You know, the spirit of the show is that our, all of our characters are museum goers and Celine Dion sort of embody, gives us the power to tell this story of Titanic through her. So she's, she's the, she is, you know, God in this show. And so we never, none of us are ever mad at her. None of us ever go, even though, you know, even the two of us are the villains of the show, Cal and Ruth are the villains we're never mad at Celine. Celine's our life force. And so, um, and you know, yes, I, I think she would really find it fun. I don't think Patty Lapone would find it funny at all. Cause she's humorless. Patty Lapone has no sense of humor. Um, and she would not enjoy this at all and not understand why she's even, you know, we have a couple of digs at her in the show, but someone like Celine Dion, who I I've, I've gotten, I, I saw a pop-up concert of Celine Dion in LA randomly a friend of mine texted me and said, do you want to go downtown to the Ace Hotel and see Celine Dion today? And she did a couple of songs and then she did this interview. She was doing a, um, her album release and she did it as a concert. And so she loves that, you know, being a comedian and she loves like that interaction with the audience. And there's also this like awkwardness of someone who has clearly spent her life in studios and on stages and, you know, like she's otherworldly. And so, yes, this is her 90 minutes to just say whatever the fuck she wants to say, be whoever she wants to be. And, um, you know, we're just living in it. Tell everyone where they can find Titanic and where they can get tickets. Yes, they can go to titaniquemusical.com and it's spelled like Titanic with an I-Q-U-E or they can go on my Instagram and find it very easily through my bio. And my Instagram is at Drew underscore Drogi. We close these shows with two questions every week. Don't panic. You know the answers. It can go back to anything we've already talked about or anything you want to say. Question number one is this. Drew, who inspires you? Oh, wow. Um, well, I yes, I've already mentioned like sort of like comedy, comedy inspirations Journeyman actors, I would say, really inspire me. People who have just been doing this for a really long time, who are getting their flowers. I, I would say, like, Jennifer Coolidge absolutely inspires me. I got to watch her in The Groundlings when I was a, as a student there, and she was in the company. And she's always been beloved, but now is having the biggest moment ever. And she's always just done her thing. Um, and there's something very uncompromising and f- totally punk rock about that. Um, yeah. So right now I would say, I would say Coolidge. And the final question is not a question. It is a statement to finish. Don't sing it. We cannot afford it. Finish this statement any way you want. Tell me something good. Uh, I think we only have so much time on this planet. We have no idea. So eat the cake, take a walk, enjoy Write it out, feel your feelings, be angry if you need to. And, and, uh, but also, you know, um, just don't sweat the small stuff. Just enjoy, enjoy life. Thank you, Drew, for sharing your good. Get you to New York City to enjoy the spectacle that is Titanic. 
I highly recommend it. Next time on World Gone Good. I'm really in this kind of stage of my life. I'm really more about just putting your thing in the world and not getting too tied up with having it be quote unquote official. It exists. It doesn't matter if it has, you know, Penguin House or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's a thing and people are going to enjoy it, period. Anne Sloan is a writer and a published author, period. Stop putting official labels on her and me and even yourself. We're all official, everybody. We are going to talk the good of sharing our stories, where to find inspiration in writing and in life itself, and that one time she accidentally named the flight number for the series Lost and everyone freaked the F out. This one is perfectly timed as my own first novel, Drown Town, will be one day published. See what I did? See what I did? Can't wait for you to hear it. It's a fun one between two writer friends. Until then, be good. <laughs>